Hello and welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast. We hope you enjoyed the bonus episode last week, which was a lot of fun with uh, Marcus Ericsson. There was a lot of good-natured ribbon going on there. I, I enjoyed that quite a lot. My name is Jack Benyon, and this week we're back to talk about Portland, where the three-race West Coast swing starts and will decide the title. So, JR, I think, feel like it's been a while. Um, what have you been up to riding superbikes in Mogadishu or driving McLarens in Nepal or something just as exotic as that, I imagine? Not nearly that exotic. Um, I have been out and about a little bit, been out on the bike. I actually uh, went for a went for a, a ride with Renus VK, our, our pal who we have not yet had on the podcast, but with he and his trainer around, uh, which I really enjoyed. They were, they've, they've spent uh, the last couple of weeks here in this, in this off season or whatever, this little mini break in the season traveling around Colorado, my, uh, my neck of the woods. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, excited to uh, excited for these last few. And I think I'll be, I'll be on site for a couple of them. So It'll definitely be, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly an intriguing time for the IndyCar series, uh, not only just to see how this year pans out, but to see how things seem like they're going to shake out for next year. Well, I'm glad you came back from a ride with Renus VK unscathed because his record of, <laughs> his record of cycling isn't always that great considering he's from Holland. Well, and honestly I did, I did, you know, I ride some pretty like gnarly stuff out here and ride all the time. So I'm always a little concerned when people come riding with me. Cause it's like, okay, like, do I need to back it up? We were on the road bikes, so it can only get so sketchy on a road bike, but it did cross my mind a couple of times as I was like, you know, jumping off the curb on a, on a bike lane or something like, Ooh, I hope you didn't just follow me off. Cause I do not want to be the guy responsible for breaking the other collarbone or something while they're out and about. But, uh, I guess that's, that's, uh, age, age, um, giving me a bit of wisdom maybe over time. Cause I definitely wouldn't have, I, I would have been thinking, man, I put this guy through his paces five or 10 years ago. I'm sure. <laughs> well, for people who don't know, we're talking about Renus fell off his bike earlier in the year and broke his clavicle. I think it was. And that's what forced him to miss yeah. road America. Speaking of which the person who replaced him at road America, Oliver Askew was a uh, subject of one of the two big news stories we've had in between the kind of last couple of podcasts. Oliver will drive the third Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan car for the last three rounds of the season, starting with Portland this weekend. And we've also had the news that uh, Ferrari test driver and Alfa Romeo reserve driver Callum Eilat will do Portland for Hunkos racing team. So I think, JR, let's get started with Oliver, who is actually going to join us later on in the show in a separate interview. What do you make of Ray Hall's move to give a third driver a go in that car? And what do you think it says about what they're thinking in terms of drivers next season? My feeling would be that it says they're thinking pretty seriously about putting Oliver in that car. He showed extremely well this year when he jumped in for Renus at Road America. That was like a, that was a, and he obviously jumped in for, for uh, Felix at Detroit, but a track that he had never been to. He hadn't raced any lights there or done any of that kind of stuff. So he was learning the track on race day. I think his, maybe his first session was qualifying. Like that's, that's just kind of an impossible ask to, to really do anything well. And they had some kind of issue in the race. So it didn't really, as far as a sort of super sub role, didn't get to show his hand there at all. Did a good job just to sort of keep everything out of trouble. That's, that's what you're being asked to do at that point. But then getting in for, for Renus in the ECR car at Road America, just crushed it right away. I mean, was faster than Connor, I think basically for the entire weekend, certainly through the practice sessions, which is you'd expect for it to be the other way around, honestly, at that point that maybe, maybe he'd be getting it together over the course of the weekend, but he was super quick right away. 
clearly, in my opinion, he's one of the guys, particularly as a young American guy who's come up through the road to Indy ladder. Um, he's he's in the right spot for you know Bobby Rahal in particular, I think, to reach out and give him a shot in that car. Uh, Bobby's got a and and the Rahal Letterman Lanigan organization has had from back when um, Scott Remke was there. They, I mean, I, I've had these conversations with them. You, know, you think about the the number, particularly of uh, American guys that have kind of been in and out of rides in the IndyCar series. You know, this goes back to Ryan Hunter Ray um, of giving guys a chance, giving guys a second look when maybe the other big teams or the other you know more competitive full time teams wouldn't. So, I think it's a really cool story. I hope Oliver gets that shot. And, uh, I would, you know, at a minimum, he's going to have a chance here to showcase what he's got with plenty of time to prep and, and in, in a good car with good teammates. I mean, it's, it's going to be, I think it'd be easy enough over the course of the next three races to see if he, you know, general, you know, genuinely deserves that seat. And I, I imagine that's what the team's looking at as well. Yeah, for sure. It's a really interesting situation, isn't it, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan for next season? Because we've got this third car presumably coming in that's going to do the the whole season, which kind of opens up their options. But the thing really throwing a spanner in the works is whether Takuma Sato is going to continue with the team. And that's the big question mark over what happens to that team, because they might have two seats available. They might have one seat available. And we think Jack Harvey is going to take one of those seats. And then, you know, potentially the the third seat is, is you know, where, you know, things could could get mixed up. But not to uh, plug the race continuously, but we did an interview with Graham Rahal last week and he talked a little bit about his view on where the team is at and the the kind of decisions that are making in silly season. And it's not just about the the driver, the quality of the driver that is available. For Graham, it's a lot about how they come in and work as part of the team and work in the same direction because he feels like Takuma almost operates as, uh, th- those two operate basically as individual teams because their driving style is so different and they kind of go in, you know, massively different directions sometimes. So, I think for Graham, the really important thing for next year for, for him that he wants to kind of voice is that he wants hopefully a little bit more kind of, um, let's call it kind of a level playing field across the team where everyone's kind of working in a, a more, you know, kind of similar direction. And Graham says he doesn't know whether Takuma is going to be in the team or or not. And of course, that's what he has to say at this point as, as being part of the team and, um, you know, making all the, the right noises in in public. But it certainly sounded like there's some, you know, there's some ways that that team can improve and the drive market is going to be a way that they're, you know, going to try and do that for, for next season. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's definitely an interesting, it, it's, it feels like I have no particular insights into this, um, you know, that are, that are more specific than anybody else's. I haven't talked to Graham about it. Um, but it feels like Takuma is on the outside looking in of this organization for next year, whether that's by his choice or the teams or, you know, whatever, some combination of both. Like you said, it's been rumored for quite some time now by credible sources that Jack Harvey is going to be there, you know, going heading into next year. It seems it would have been an odd choice for Jack to make uh, to not continue with Shank if he didn't already have something lined up. And we've heard nothing else about where else he might go. Um, and so it really does seem like the, the way that the just just looking at the way the team is treating these the second half of the season with this third car, it really does genuinely seem like they're doing driver auditions basically. And, and of all of them, I'm probably the most, the most interested and most excited um, to see how this plays out for Oliver over the last few, you know, he's, he's a really good kid. He's really good in the car. 
uh, I think, you know, could stand having, having a, a good opportunity that, that maybe is not quite at the level of, I don't want to say that it's pressure necessarily, but coming in as a rookie with Pato last season, uh, in the Arrow McLaren car, the first year as the McLaren affiliated team. And I don't know, there, there was a lot of things going on there, um, throughout the course of the year that I think may not have, may not have maybe been giving him the best, I don't know, just environment, I guess, to grow into his first season in an Indy car. And, and, you know, Pato had had enough enough experience and he's just, they have different types of personalities. You know, those are, they, they sort of operate, operate differently as people, I think. So I think this would be a, this would be a much, a much, I don't know if, I don't know if it's necessarily better, but this is going to be a different type of environment for Oliver to jump into. He's been through the sort of turmoil of being in and out of the series already, you know, as a young guy over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I think that this, this could be something that's really good for him, which I would love to see. We should address Callum Eilat as well, because that's a really interesting story. This came completely out of left field to me. Um, you've seen, you've followed him much more closely in Europe and, and just watching his junior formula career. So maybe you can just kind of dig into that a little bit and, and give us a sense of, uh, what we might, you know, be expecting as he comes in. This is where I can be moderately useful for once, because where where where, <laughs> where people who come to listen to you talk about IndyCar think, who's that stupid English guy on the other end of the microphone? <laughs> I, I at least have some experience in covering uh, Callum Eilat across his junior career. Yeah, I think um, his GP3 season was the, the first year I, I covered him all season long, actually being in the paddock for every single race and, and all that kind of stuff, but spoke to him quite a bit while he was doing general F3 as well. And I think there's just one thing that's always been really clear about Callum Eilat and that is how he knows how to rag every last bit of pace out of a car and I think he's well known in Europe for that for for being someone who is an exceptional talent when it comes to just raw speed so when you kind of marry that with you know him spending a few years kind of learning a little bit about tyres and things like GP3 and and in F2 as well, learning how the Pirelli rubber works, he's going to have to do a, a lot less tyre management when he comes to IndyCar, but still, you know, he's learned how to do it a little bit. And uh, I think, you know, we've seen from the likes of Christian Lungard how quickly he came in and, and got up to speed that that Callum's going to have the right kind of understanding and and level of ability to be able to to understand how the IndyCar works. And, you know, I think the, the key thing for the IndyCar is to be able to drive it with a little bit of oversteer and to be able to absolutely drive it on the ragged edge and that is the one characteristic that Callum Eilat is you know there is there is no doubt over that part of his ability so I'm really excited to see him racing IndyCar I think he's got a great personality for it as well I think the American fans over there will absolutely love him he's he's really direct to the point really kind of uh, dry sense of humor and just a, a really fun person to be around and I wouldn't say like the you know the PR talk goes out the window but he's much more kind of heart on his sleeve um, you know that kind of mentality and it's that is really enjoyable to see over the course of a season when you get to follow that in, in its totality so he's definitely looking at IndyCar for next year and obviously there's some silly season stuff going on with Formula 1 at the minute it doesn't look like he's going to land with the Formula 1 drive at the moment so that's good news for IndyCar fans if they enjoy seeing him out in Portland it's unlikely we're going to see him for the last two races just because of his other commitments he's racing in GTs in, in Europe as well so there's a good chance he's, he's going to miss those he is trying to rearrange stuff and, and get over here again but I think to, to take anyway anything away from it, you know, this is a, a really exciting opportunity. Just everything has to be tempered with 
uh, an understanding that this is a effectively a brand new team that you know is coming in not done a road call since 2017 or 2018 so it's it's a big ask for for Hunkos to come in at Portland the you know when when the whole IndyCar paddock is up to speed and and had a whole season of of racing and for them to come in and just kind of hit the ground running even though it is a single make um championship so it's going to be a difficult one for 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 Callum and the team but you know I think there's a lot of motivation and a lot of ambition within that group that is really going to uh, you know, Callum's going to suit that. And I think that team's going to come to the fore quite quickly once they get all their kind of ducks in a row, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that it'll be interesting. You know, we uh, Nobody really knows a lot about what Ricky's put together here for this organization, just as we're, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of stuff about, uh, you know, former Williams investor and all of, you know, all it, it all sounds good, but it's also, to your point, like a tall order to put all this together this quickly. So, I got to say, I don't have super high expectations just because I have, I don't, we don't know that we don't know enough about who's there, who's engineering the car, who are the mechanics, how is this exactly going to work? Uh, we'll see all that kind of unfold over the course of the weekend. I certainly expect for them to bring a you know professional. They've always done a professional job coming in. I mean, the last time that we saw them at, of, of note was bumping Fernando Alonso out of the Indy 500. So we know that they can definitely sort of punch above their weight and they've got a bit more weight behind them here going into 2022, as it sounds like I'm, I got to say the most interesting thing to me about this is you know, in IndyCar, we've kind of gone over the last, just in the last three or four years from having guys that have been in F1 and then kind of maybe aren't, aren't, don't have an easier time getting a ride or they're on the back end of their, you know, careers or whatever at that it's in a, at a later stage of their careers in, in Europe, um, switching and, and kind of taking a look at IndyCar. I think it's really cool that we've got some of the young guys that are at the, more at the beginning of their F1 career that are looking at IndyCar as a, as a totally viable, whether it's from a career perspective, looking at it as a viable option or just looking at it saying, Hey, this looks like fun to go do. Um, and what I like about Callum's, you know, just reading some of his interviews and, you know, the, the, the bits and pieces that you kind of gather from his point of view and perspective on this, he's totally just taken a flyer on it because it sounds fun. I think like, it's not anything much more than that. Like, it's not, I don't think he's, I don't think he's putting a lot of wait into like exactly how this plays into whatever he's doing. It's kind of like, this is a super competitive championship. That's obvious from the outside at this point, I think to, to anybody. Um, and he wants to like, come and give it a, give it a try, you know, like take a flyer on it, which is, which is cool. You can see, cause there were some questions uh, that were asked of him, whether he thought that doing this particularly just with like a one-off team, if he, if he thought that was risky, basically, like they didn't just come right out and say that, but I think that was, that was the idea. And he just kind of said, yeah, I sort of, you know, to some degree I'm paraphrasing, but to some degree, like, yeah, I thought about that, but, but I don't really care. Like this, I'm just going to go, I've got an off weekend. So screw it. You know, like that was more or less his, his like point of view, uh, which I think is awesome. And uh, that, that, that to me is all I need to know to be kind of excited to to see how it how it all plays out. That's Callum Eilat in a nutshell, really, and uh, just the kind of just just not scared of anything or you know worried about anything really, and, and anything that looks like adversity, he just doesn't care. He's obviously he does care to a certain extent if something's working against him, but 
you know, if you if you're asking him whether he's worried some, about something pre weekend, you know, it's just the answer is always going to be no. <laughs> I think that that's as we're talking about this, it's just something I want to mention really quick, which is that you know there I I feel like in my my generation of guys, so we're you know ten years ago we were coming into the IndyCar series. Myself, James Hinchcliffe, uh, you know whatever that kind of whole crew of of guys that are we're now in our you know call it late twenties, early thirties. That that was a we were coming out of a period of time when you know Champ Car and IndyCar were sort of split up, and it was hard to navigate where you were going and very few of the Indy lights or Atlantic drivers were actually making it to the top level. You know, they'd make it for a year on some kind of scholarship thing, and then they'd be out of a ride because the dollars weren't there and, you know, sponsorship was hard to come by and everything was a mess. And I think that that the, the volatility of that just environment at the top level, when we were all coming up, it, it sort of, ingrained a, a an attitude that was pretty high on risk management in these kinds of situations. Like you didn't want to end up in a lousy ride for a race because that might be your only chance you're going to get. And it would totally screw up. You know, there, there were, there were instances where you could have made the case that those types of situations, um, took guys out of the running for better situations. They might otherwise, if they had just like held tight that they might've and waited a year, they were in line for this or that, you know, a year or a year or two down the road. Um, and so I, I'm, it's something that I've talked about with, with some of the drivers, like I said, kind of, of our, of our generation, you know, how much we wished that it hadn't been like that or that we hadn't have treated it like that, because I mean, I can, I can just speak for myself. Like I've definitely, uh, passed up some opportunities to drive stuff that in the, in hindsight would have had no impact on my career one way or another, and would have just been fun to go do, whether it's sports car racing earlier in my career or, or whatever else. Um, I really love that that seems not to be the case among today's young drivers. And I think part of that is just because it's a group of guys that their, their attitude and their confidence is just different, but at the same time, it's nice to see that the that sort of just the the landscape of motorsports is such that it's more acceptable to bounce around and be be lousy at something, but not have that or be able to take a risk on jumping in this or that. You know, we've seen these guys jumping into the GT3 cars and DTM and stuff, and it's kind of like, okay, they've they've sort of been given the time to have a have a handful of crappy races and lousy results. Um you know, and then suddenly they're, they're stuck up at the front, given the right amount of experience and time doing it. And, um, you know, Callum, you mentioned, you know, the GT stuff that he's doing. It's, it's great to see, honestly, that they're being given the chance to bounce around and and do that much different stuff. And, And I think that that's, uh, evident here, just in the attitude to come over and just come and do an IndyCar race, you know? So, um, I hope that we, I hope that that attitude becomes more prevailing, you know, across the sport, particularly among young drivers. And uh, it'll be exciting to see how, how it works out for these guys here. Yeah, I think that's good too. Two good takeaways from the podcast today is it's really nice to see IndyCar attracting people before they get to F1 as well as after they've been in it. And to see people giving things a go and just trying different things for their for their careers and having the faith that 
their ability and the the job that they can do will will kind of pull them through. So yeah, two good messages, I think. Before we run out of time, JR, we should talk about Portland because we've had a few weeks break now and we're coming into a track that is maybe less well-known, certainly probably the least well-known road course in terms of, um, you know, across the pond in, in Europe and some and places like that, I would say. Uh, it's an interesting and in some ways unusual track, 12 turns, nearly two miles long. Um, yeah, I guess, what do you think is the key to the to, to this circuit in, in kind of modern IndyCar, JR? I think driving this place in anything, I race here in Formula 4 2000 and then in Atlantics um, back in 2000. So 2007 was the last time I raced at Portland, but it's a, it's basically like airport runway front straightaway. It's actually a drag, a drag strip. So it's super wide uh, coming onto the front straight. It's, you know, it opens up massively. It's like five lanes wide or something going down the front straight into a tight chicane that tightens up as you get through it. So the actual off the off the front straight turn one is actually if it was all by itself would still be pretty fast but then into a super tight left turn two that that the track gets quite a bit more narrow for so starts and restarts are always a significant factor here more so than other places that we go uh it's a place where you're just i mean last year we had a huge accident like out of turn two which was kind of a bizarre uh situation to end up having but it's it's rare that you don't have some kind of um, you know, get together on starts or restarts at Portland. Um, so that's just something to, to look out for. And then the track is quite tight and narrow for the rest of the circuit. Basically it's a bunch of sort of interconnected medium speed corners, like third gear corners, basically second, third, top of second, bottom of third. Um, you know, from an engineering perspective, it's a weird track because there's a lot of fast right-handers. So you might be doing things like you're sort of asymmetrically setting the car up to be good through rights. But then there's like the one left that if you do have somebody right on you and you haven't managed to build that gap through the right handers on the left, if you're really bad through that left at the middle of the track, that it can totally hose you. So it's just kind of an interesting, it's an interesting circuit getting onto the back straight away, super fast off the back straight. There's a, you know, it, with how, with the, sort of ultra high downforce versions of the version of the IndyCar a few years ago, probably would have been just flat chat off the end of the back straight, you know, at 160 or whatever they're going at that point um, into, you know, two rights back onto the front straight. There's really only one passing zone, which is coming onto the front straight onto the front straightaway. So um, you'll see, you know, I guess we're, you're as a race fan, you're always hoping for some tire degradation around this place to see that start to get mixed up. But basically, it's the, it's the type of circuit just because it's so sort of narrow and medium speed for most of the track that, um, you know, and this and this was how the race played out the last time around that fuel strategy and pit stops and how long the, you know, typically it's an it's sort of an overcut oriented track. Um, you know, strategy is going to play, I would think, a fairly significant role in terms of what goes on here. But if I think if just pulling back. And thinking about what are where are the places that this race is going to, you know, that are that's going to de- you know, decide what happens in this race. It's going to be starts and restarts and pit strategy. I think is 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 really where it where it's going to happen. Turn one's definitely one to keep an eye on. You mentioned it, and I think uh, I definitely remember Graham Ray Hall misjudging a, a restart, or maybe it was the actual race start in in 2019, the last time we were at Portland, and also I remember Ryan Hunter defending quite over aggressively from Alexander Rossi, who was in basically in full, I need to win the championship mode at this point. And basically Hunter right. outbraked himself and took himself out by 
kind of breaking too late going on the inside of the curb. But there's, there's that really sketchy inside curb there, isn't there? That if you get on that and you've outbraked yourself, then you're just a passenger at that point and you're just going to be kind of sweeping out whoever's on the outside of the corner trying to avoid you. So that's that's going to be a key kind of spot to watch during the race. I think speaking to Alexander Rossi, another plug, that'll be a, a feature that you can read on on the race this week about his season and how he feels where it's kind of come unstuck and kind of breaking down the bits that are, are good and bad because although it looks really bad, there are parts of his season that have been quite good. Um, he mentioned that he thinks from the from the recent test that Penske have really got it together for for Portland. So if we if we've got kind of any insight in terms of what the drivers are thinking, they think Penske's going to be the one to watch. And obviously Will Power kind of scorched that race last well last time, 2019. Obviously we didn't have it from the from the pandemic last year. So that'll be interesting to watch. We'll take a break now, JR, and then we'll head over to speak to Oliver Askew about his final three races of the season and what he kind of thinks about it. Welcome back to the next segment of the Race IndyCar podcast with Oliver Askew. How are you doing, man? I hope you're training hard and ready for your IndyCar return. Yeah, I hope I'm ready. I, I feel ready. Very excited. Uh, it's good to be here, Jack. <laughs> Oliver signed a deal to drive with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigans. Well, drive for their third car for the last three races of the year. There's too many threes there. It just mixes you up a little bit too much. We need to we need to do something about that. We need to make them them three races a, a full season. I think, Oliver. What do you think about that? <laughs> That's the idea. Um, obviously, <laughs> yeah, we just need to get through get through the next couple of races here and. Uh, yeah, it's a good opportunity to have a strong, strong closing to the IndyCar season. What's the what's the goal over the last three races now? Obviously, there's a lot going on. You're obviously trying to re-establish yourself in in IndyCar, but there's a lot of silly season stuff going on as well, and a lot of it out of your control, I guess. So, you know, what are the what are the, the goals for the last three races? What are you looking to achieve here? Yeah, honestly, who knows um, what's going to happen next year with with the driver market and and for myself, um, you know, I. I I don't know at this point where I'm going to end up, but uh, yeah, all I can do now is um, yeah, put on put on a good show in the last last couple of races here. Uh, you know, at a, some tracks I've been to and have experience at, and, and a track in Long Beach that uh, that I have not raced at before, but I've had some uh, some good sim time at. So um, yeah, the goal is to uh, yeah just get out there and um, enjoy myself, and I think the car is uh, it has the speed and, and the team. Uh, is very capable. Capable have some. Have, they have some great, uh, great people there working uh, in the engineering group. So um, I'm excited. I think. I think we can. Uh, yeah, put a good showing on. I just wanted to recap your journey for anyone who isn't kind of familiar with kind of what's happening in your career, really. But it's obviously been a you know really interesting career through the through the road to Indy Ladder. Obviously, very successful there, winning the the Indy Light Championship in in 2019 before graduating to IndyCar in in 2020. Obviously, that year started really well with you having the the first Fast Six qualifying result on a on a road course for the team, and then obviously you had the the crash in the Indy 500 that left you kind of racing with a you know, an undiagnosed concussion at that point, and and ultimately you and the team went in in different directions at the end of the year. But just how hard was that kind of that period for you at the end of of 2021? There, I know you've spoken about this before. You know, kind of maybe feeling like your your chance was kind of of slipping away and we can talk about this now you've you know you've got a new chance and and, and kind of a new new lease of life but yeah it, that must have been a really difficult period for you and i think you know people should know you know kind of what you've come through to to get to where you are now really yeah i, I try not to uh to comment on that so much it was uh obviously yeah probably one of the lowest points in my career um as you know in racing um there's there's the lowest of lows and and the highest of highs um, and it's, uh, you know, I believe champions are, are made in the comeback. Right. So 
Um, you know, I haven't, haven't lost any love for the sport, um, any, any drive either. So, um, you know, I'm, I've taken it as a, as a learning experience, a very crucial learning experience. And, um, you know, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't, you know, severed, severed any, you know, ties with, with anyone in the, in the paddock. And, um, you know, I, I think I still, still have a, a, a good name in, in the series and, um, you know, I feel like we can, we can definitely make a comeback here and it's, it's exciting for, for myself, um, for my support group. And, um, you know, I, I believe IndyCar racing is in a, a really good, really good place right now. And it's, it's one of the most, if not the most competitive series in the world. Um, you know, we have, we have a fantastic group of drivers at very, diverse group of drivers and um um you know we're, we're all pushing each other pushing each other heavily every weekend i think it's been great to see your journey obviously i think the first time i came across you was in the the formula ford festival and i obviously came over to laguna seca for the for the scholarship that you won before kind of heading on to the actual road to indy which was which was fantastic but i think you know you, you you're right to credit your support team they've done such a you know fantastic job in, in helping you along the way but you know you've never given up either and you know, even in, even in the good times, you know, you're never giving up on, on, you know, perfecting things and, and improving yourself and, and making yourself that bit better. So that's always fantastic to see. And I'm sure people who are seeing this journey that you're having now are really kind of respectful of, of how much effort and the kind of, um, you know, the, you know, the, the reward that you're going to, that you're going to get out of that, hopefully. So that's great to see. I guess I wanted to ask you a little bit about your kind of standing performances this year. You know, you mentioned not having, you know, severed any ties in, in IndyCar and obviously went back to race for Aaron McLaren SP earlier in the year, but also race for Ed Carpenter Racing where you stood in for Rena BK at, at Road America and had a, a great weekend there as well. Just how much kind of pressure did you put on yourself in, in those scenarios, knowing that it was a, a big chance to kind of get that comeback started or did you kind of approach those with, with no expectations? Yeah, it's, it's nice now to have my own car for for the last three races and not having uh, not having to borrow anything. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been really enjoyable jumping. Um, not ideal, but it's been it's a great learning experience. Um, one that not many drivers get to come across. You know, jumping from from team to team and experiencing different team atmospheres and different personnel and uh, very different philosophies and and you know how to make the race car go around the track as fast as possible and um philosophies and how how the team needs to be managed um you know there, there's uh yeah very very different ways and how you can you can put together a fast indie car and, and, a, and a capable indie car team right and we've we see that through the through the paddock um you know there's uh you know aaron mclaren sp who have many many employees there and they're continuing to add add people and um you know ed carpenter racing who doesn't have as many employees but i believe is is uh is still a, a very very strong team and i and i felt that um at the uh at the road america race there that i was able to do with them uh, filling in for for one of my biggest rivals in racing uh renas vk um and, and had a had a great weekend um I felt very confident right away. Uh, I think the car, um, the car brought to, uh, brought a lot of, a lot of confidence out of me, uh, you know, through the first couple laps and, and, and practice there. So, um, I knew it was going to be a good weekend and we, we able to, we were able to show some good speed and practice and, uh, came away with a, with a 12th place there in the race. So I guess it's, you know, like you said, it's unusual 
especially as those two cars, you know, both race winning cars this year. So it's very unusual for drivers to be able to switch between race winning cars in the year. And obviously you're going to get a chance to to drive for Ray Hall as well as one of those teams that, you know, has really been consistent this year and, and last as well and, and really fighting at the front quite regularly. I know Bobby Ray Hall himself has, has wanted to give young American drivers a, a chance in, in the past. And I guess he must've been a big part of how this deal came together for you, you know, coming into this last stretch now for the end of the season. Yeah, I think so. Both, uh, both Bobby Ray Hall, um, Graham and, and Pierce as well. Um, you know, every, everyone, everyone played a role in, in getting this program put together. Um, my engineer, Brandon Fry, um, I, I've actually worked with him in the past and, and have had a longstanding relationship with him back going back to my karting days. He was, uh, uh, working in the data analysis for, for us at the super nationals in 2014, I think it was. So, um, we've always, we've always talked about working together and where this, yeah, it's finally, finally happening. Funny how the, how the world works. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, huge thank you to to bobby ray hall and um the whole ray hall letterman lanigan group and uh hy v as well for coming on board um both on the team side and and as a as a big partner for the series and bring iowa back it's um i think that's a race that uh we were very sad to see go um after the after the shows that have been put on there and um yeah now we're happy to very happy to have it back so um yeah it's it's a great great situation to, to be in for myself. Um, as I said before that the, the series is in a very good place and, um, yeah, excited to, to get out there. I know obviously, you know, ideally any driver wants to be competing in every race and, and be in the same car for a, for a whole season, as we kind of alluded to earlier, but is, is there things you can take from, from this season, having had that experience of some different cars? I think maybe maybe some fans don't necessarily understand how different some of the cars can be in the, the kind of the setup philosophies and, and the things that are going on behind the scenes with, with things like dampers and just the, yeah, the whole setup philosophy of the car and, and the fact that you can't just, you know, make a small change to change the whole philosophy of the car in the middle of the season. A lot of that is done, you know, before the, the season actually starts and it's quite difficult to change certain things, you know, in order to, to change the, the the performance of the car because they're kind of, they're all pointing in one direction, if that makes sense. So I, I guess, you know, could you take something of the fact that you've had the experience and, and driven all these different cars and, and is that going to be something that will benefit you in, in the future maybe? I think so. Um, you know, last year I, I was just driven what I was given. You know, I didn't, I didn't really, I guess that was the, the, the difficulty in not having a veteran on the team, you know, not, uh, you know, both, both Pato and myself were just, you know, we didn't ask any questions. We were just driving as hard as we could. Right. Um, and, and now mm. that I've had ex- experiences between, between different cars, I think, um, it was a great positive for me because now I have a better understanding of what I, what I like and, um, what I, um, feel like I can extract the the best, uh, or, or which car I can extract the most time out of, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, like I said before, there's very, very different ways to, to go fast in IndyCar. And I don't think, I don't think many people just, just from the outside looking in really understand how hard these, these cars are to drive. Um, you know, we, we, we hear this from, from drivers coming from formula one or V8 supercars or NASCAR. Now, um, you know, these, these are not easy cars to drive and, um, to find that last, 
half a second um, to a couple of tenths even is is extremely difficult. And um, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of risk that comes with that as well. Sure. I guess how how are you kind of approaching the last few races? Because I guess they're all new to you in terms of uh, IndyCar. Obviously, you've had success at some of the tracks in your kind of road to Indy career, but is, is it, you know, it sounds like a, maybe a bit of a silly question to say, is it a good thing that the, the tracks you're not experienced with, but can you kind of go in with a, a clean sheet of paper and maybe with a, with a fresh approach that means you're not going in with sort of preconceived ideas and it just allows you to approach things a, a little bit dif- differently, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I tend to overthink things and, uh, <laughs> I, if that's, if that's one, yeah, if there's if there's one one thing um, that uh, you know, I've, I've t- I'm starting to take a different approach in, into my racing now. It's just it's just uh, getting out there and enjoying it, and 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 driving as hard as I can, and just uh, just soaking in the experience. I think that's um, that's uh, that seems to be working a little bit better for myself. Um, you know, not, not, I, I tend to overanalyze things. Right. And, and to, to waste a little bit of energy in that area. So, um, yeah, like you said, it's, uh, there's, there's a couple of tracks here that I've had experience at. Um, I've actually had my first IndyCar test with Chip Ganassi racing at the end of 2019 and at the, uh, Portland international raceway. Um, so I, I know that was, that was quite a long time ago now and I don't really, remember much um from that test uh and obviously i feel like I, i'm a much better driver now than i was back then um in indycar so uh but but it's experience and uh yeah i think i think some things will come back to me here this weekend from that uh from that test well before we let you go we should ask you about portland and obviously that's the the race that's coming up and the one that kickstarts the the last three races of the season, obviously you won there in 2018 with Cape in, in ProMaster, I think it was. So what can you tell us yes. about the the key aspects of this circuit and, and kind of what to watch for, for the, for the fans over the course of this weekend? Yeah, I, I expect, uh, I expect it to be a little bit difficult to pass. Um, we've also seen some very exciting starts there, both in, uh, <laughs> and throughout all formulas and all categories at that track, you know, the, the turn one, two, even yeah, turn three there, that kink coming out of, out of turn two. Um, we, we've seen a couple of accidents there in the past. So that's, uh, that's something that the, the fans can, can, uh, can look out for maybe, you know, if you're planning on attending the race weekend, I, I I'd say that's a, that's a good area to stand. Um, it's also the best passing area, um, going into turn one there, uh, typically by, you know, getting a good run out of the last corner and using some push to pass and, uh, it's it's a track that reminds me uh, of a karting track. It's um, it's very narrow, um, flowing, and it has a good mix of uh, you know heavy braking, low speed corners, and and also um, uh, very high commitment corners. And turn nine and ten, I believe, uh, uh, coming off of the back straightaway through the chicane there. So yeah, it's um, I don't know how physical it'll be because I obviously haven't haven't uh, you know run a race distance there in an indie car but uh you know who am i kidding i think most of these races in indie car are are all very physical so hopefully uh yeah i think i've been i've been doing well with my training um although there's no there's no replacement for being race fit so um hopefully after the the first couple of couple of races here i'll be back to 100 percent um for long beach also well, i'm sure there's a lot of fans that are looking forward to seeing how you get it on in, in the last three races of the season and looking forward to seeing what you end up doing next year, whatever it is, but it's, it's great that you seem to have options and that 
that things are looking really positive for, for 2022. So Ola Braski, thanks for joining us on the Race IndyCar podcast and hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you in the off-season when things are a bit more settled and uh, we can find out what the what the plan is. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it.